Hi, this is Rodney Lim, owner and clinical supervisor of Advanced Counseling and Communicating Love. The purpose of my podcast channel is to help you progress, overcome challenges, and succeed in those things you'd like to accomplish or learn. Over the last 27 years in practice, as a licensed clinical counselor and marriage and family therapist, I have worked with a variety of clients with many struggles, but I have found there are three main areas that people can use a little help in. Mental health, including anxiety and depression, marriage and relationships, and pornography challenges and other things that cause difficulties in relationships. Each week, I will tackle one of these areas. So whatever you are struggling with, you can listen to that specific podcast area. I hope to give you real tools and suggestions that work. I hope to educate you on how to support loved ones and how to work on relationships. And most of all, I hope this is informative and helpful to you. Be sure to check out my website, communicatinglove.com, where you will find lots of great resources. You can also join me for a live webinar every Thursday if you'd like to ask questions. Go to my website, communicatinglove.com, for all the information. Now, on to the good stuff. All right, I'm excited to share today something that commonly comes up in a lot of my sessions in almost any setting. And whether you're Christian or not, I found that many clients have appreciated the perspective that I have found. There's a little verse in the Bible that is found in John chapter 8, verse 32. That's in the New Testament of the Bible. And it's a very short verse, and it says this, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And whether it's in context or out of context of what that was really meaning in the verse of Scripture, I think there's a very important principle that has resonated, actually, with just everyone I've shared it with. And it's something I like to share to help people think about and get a different perspective of things. And that is is understanding that the truth shall make you free. And so if that is a true statement, that the truth makes us free, when we turn that around, it's a lie that binds us. So if a lie binds us, then the truth sets us free. You know, it's like, okay, if someone ties you up, if you're tied up around the wrist, if you know exactly that's where you're tied and stuck at, once you loosen that up, now you're free. So the idea is that different lies bind us in different places and different ways in our life. And so one of the goals in life is to discover the lies that we believe about ourselves, about others, about the world. And this really comes up a lot when it comes to someone that has been abused as a child or grew up in a very dysfunctional home. The way our human development occurs as children, we rely for our survival on those adults around us. And so as a child, when things aren't safe or things aren't how we believe as a child that they ought to be, we get creative in our imagination. And when things go wrong as a child, we blame ourselves for what's not going right. Because if it's our fault, that gives us control to change 
what is wrong and to be able to make it right. That is the initial belief. That's a creative mind finding ways to create safety. Because as a child, if we don't feel safe, we are afraid that we will die. And survival is everything as a child. We want to live. That's kind of the instinct that we have growing up as human beings. We have that through our whole life. But as children, because we don't have the mental development and social development of understanding, then it's easy in our imagination as a child to blame ourselves. As a result of blaming ourselves, we take guilt on and shame and responsibility for things that just are not within our control or our ability or our understanding as a child. So especially when it comes to someone who's been sexually abused, it's very confusing. There's many different kinds of confusion, but one of those is the confusion that when someone is abusing, they manipulate the child to believe that it's the child's desire and want to have that activity. And if a child is in a chaotic environment, whatever that activity is, it might feel good to the body, but yet there's a part of a child for all of us that we just know something is right and wrong, even though we do not understand why. And so when something feels good to the body, but we know it's wrong, that becomes very confusing. And so we take the responsibility of that and we begin to believe that it's something we chose that we wanted, even though as a child we were manipulated and told it was our fault. Those are just lies. The truth is adults, and this is a judgment, but I, it's a healthy one for our society that adults are responsible for children. That's how our society is set up. And so it takes unlearning a lot of beliefs that we had as a child to let go of the lies that we took on for our safety as we grew up. And so when we discover the lie, and then the alternate truth, then that's what frees us from the burden, from the shame or the guilt or the depression or the anxiety of what that lie brings. So that's an important principle to grow into understanding because it's the thought process that goes into those lies that cause depression and anxiety and lots of problems. So, as I mentioned before, that comes in many contexts with clients I get in my office, whether that's individual or couples or family work, then it's part of the work of therapy really is to understand those belief systems that just are not true. And as those are uncovered, then there's freedom from the chaos and burden that that brings. So, that's on a nutshell how I like to share that verse in the New Testament. So along with that, there are a couple things that when it comes to any individual or as human nature is that we have different challenges. It's, it's part of growing up. 
we have four basic needs. I'll review those really quick. One is to live, which is food, shelter, and clothing. That one's easy to understand. Another one is to love and be loved. And another is to feel important, to have the feeling and knowing that what we do makes a difference, that what we do matters and has an impact in the world. So there is that sense of internal drive for all of us is to make a difference. The fourth of that is variety. And variety is something that is, for me, it's the spice of life, to do lots of different things, to enjoy different activities, different relationships, different things to think about. And that's important. So with that variety, sometimes a big problem that we all get into or have sometime in our life, especially in the teenage years, it seems to be the biggest problem. Since my teenage years, I don't think I have struggled with this since then. And that is one of boredom. Boredom causes problems when we go to get out of that boredom. As I've worked with teens and with my own children, boredom is a problem. And it's almost causes anxiety and emotional pain to be bored. Because as a teenager, they haven't developed the skill or the desire to keep themselves productively active in a good cause. So I had a cousin, he was quite rowdy. It was easy to get in trouble when I hung around him. And so that was the principle to be able to find more productive ways because when we got bored, we filled our life with things that were not boring. And that's how we got into trouble at times. And so boredom is a big problem. So along with that, there's an acronym that a treatment program I have run in the past, and that is called the Sons of Helaman. And if you're interested in a lot more details about that program, I encourage you to uh, Google Sons of Helaman. So in that program, working with young men who have had challenges with internet addictions, gaming and pornography and other uh, minor sexual behaviors. And this also fits when I worked with those who have been into major sexual challenges when I worked with sex offenders. So the acronym is BLAST, B-L-A-S-T. So as we become aware of these challenges, that is what helps us be more aware and avoid getting ourselves into trouble or to be in activities that can cause problems. So the B in BLAST stands for bored. When we get bored, that is a trigger. It's a trigger for making choices that are not the best for ourselves or for relationships in the long run. And that can fit whether it's individual behaviors or in relationship behaviors. Boredom can cause problems. The other is L for lazy and lonely. When we're feeling lonely or we are feeling lazy, that becomes uncomfortable because loneliness begins to trigger at a very core level as human beings. We really are wired at some level to not be alone. And so when we are lonely, we begin to seek attention 
from others. So the next is A for angry and anxious. So when we are angry, when we are anxious, that causes problems in relationship. And if we allow that anger to be expressed in out-of-control ways, that can cause more problems for ourselves. S is for sad, stressed, or scared. So when we're sad or stressed or scared, that's another trick. Those are other triggers often to cause anxiety of uncomfortable feelings that we want to get out of. So in all of those, we work to get out of that. And T is for tired or otherwise physically compromised in some way. And there's nothing that gets us more tired than if we have some aches and pains. As adults, uh, most everyone's experienced at some time uh, a tired back or an injured back or some injury. Injuries take a lot of energy and that makes us tired very quickly. And oftentimes we get grumpy when we're tired and that grumpiness makes relationship more difficult and it makes our own perspective on life and things that we could be productively doing, it makes them more difficult when we have a poor outlook, a poor perspective. So uh, that's a great acronym, BLAST. Bored, lazy, angry, sad, and tired. So those are emotional things that happen, that trigger us emotionally, that often cause problems. And when we are in those emotions, our perspective is easy to accept thoughts easily that even may not be true because when we're lazy <laughs> or tired, sometimes we just want to accept that so that we can blame and not take responsibility. So on the opposite side of that, is truth, truth as an acronym, T-R-U-T-H. Truth, when we are triggered, and this relates back to the beginning thing about truth sets us free. T for truth means to terminate the lie. It's to identify that lie that we are believing, and as we identify that lie, then we can know that we can loose that binding on us. R is for restore the truth, which is that when you recognize the lie, you figure out what the truth is, and then you focus on that truth. So an example of that would be a couple I met with this morning. One of the things that happened within the discussion I had with the couple is that the woman said that when her husband comes to her complaining that he's depressed and in his sharing that he's depressed, sometimes he shares that because you didn't have dinner on time, I was feeling like you didn't love me. Well, that's quite a leap from dinner being late to believing that the wife didn't love him. And so the lie was he believed because she's late with dinner, she doesn't love him enough to be on time. When in reality, she was distracted with the children and she got dinner as soon as she could and it had nothing to do with how much she did or did not love him. 
And so when he understood that dinner was late, not because she didn't love him, but because she was distracted with the kids, then that truth sets him free from the depression or sadness that he was feeling from believing that she didn't love him. I mean, that's a simple example, but really that is the pattern that we often get into in many relationships. So we want to restore the truth. You, in truth, is to unite with God, to realize that we do not have power over ourselves and everyone else and everything. And so as we choose to unite with a higher power, and we do that, when we, we unite with God, then you know that you have all the power you need to overcome the lie, that you don't have to do it alone, that God is there to help you, and with his help, you can accomplish anything. So that gives you the strength to overcome any of that lie. And then TH, combining those two letters on the end of truth, and that is the weapon to think about the truth, the weapon is your body to know that you have control of your body. No one else has control of you or your body or your mind unless you allow it. And so it's just remembering that you are in charge and that even though other people may have a different opinion and tell you those things, just remembering the truth is that you are in charge. So that truth sets you free. So that is one way to overcome a lie and be set free. Avoid triggers like blast and strengthen yourself with the truth. And then you will be successful in overcoming any difficulty you might have for changing a problem that you want to overcome, like any addiction or things like that. The question is, what strategies help with managing anger triggers? So that's a great question. I appreciate that. There's two sides to managing anger triggers. One side is a prevention work that needs to go into anger management. And the other side is intervention that goes into anger management. So let's start with prevention of anger management. First of all, the prevention, and that means to discover what the lies are that we've had problems with in the past. And when we understand the truth, then we will not be as triggered into anger as we may have been previously. So an example of that would be, so you're sitting there reading a book and someone's in the kitchen and they're chopping the vegetables for dinner and if you're in the mode of wanting quiet and you're having the imagination that the person cooking dinner is annoyed at you and they're chopping the vegetables extra noisily just to annoy you you begin to have the imagination that the noise of chopping the vegetables is done in such a manner with an attitude to annoy you on purpose. And so somewhere is the history that you have the belief that that person is annoyed at you or maybe something you have done that you know may have annoyed them, 
And so you're in a defense mode of fear, believing that they are trying to get retaliation at you. So the prevention of that would, first of all, be taking care of your own behaviors to know that you haven't done things to others that you believe may come back and haunt you. And so if you have peace with those around you, your mind will not be in a defensive mode. So that's a simple example that comes out in a lot of different ways. So it's your mindset. Another part of prevention is getting good sleep. If you are rested, at least for myself and most people, is that when we're tired, we often are way less tolerant or patient with others. And so getting good rest is part of prevention of anger. Another is good nutrition, your body needing the fuel. It's a common thing known to understand that we can all get hangry, which means that we are hungry, and because we're hungry, we are expressing anger. And our attitude gets very poor when we're hungry. And once we eat, it's a lot easier to focus and concentrate on being more pleasant and happy. And in our fast-paced world today, that's easy to do. We get so busy and so distracted. And sometimes we're not even thinking about being hungry. And so we're so focused on the tasks that we begin to be irritable and impatient with others when really what we need to do is stop and take a moment and realize we're hungry, get a bite to eat, and then we feel better. And because we feel better, we're less likely to get hungry. So th those are a few examples of the intervention side of anger. Good self-care is to keep yourself in a good place so that you can have the strength and the rest and the perspective to be patient with others. So then tr anger doesn't happen. Now on the other side of intervention, when we do get angry, how do we intervene in our own anger? And that comes around to different skills. So part of that is practicing that when we get angry is to have different phrases that we practice that we can say to help calm ourselves. There's other skills called mindfulness that's very common in counseling is to be mindful, is to help ground ourselves. When we get angry is to recognize that we're angry and to just count to 10 or breathe slowly with conscious effort. And as we recognize we're angry and we take time to breathe or to count, that really allows us to regulate the anger and not express that in harmful ways. Being angry is not the problem. It's how we express the anger that can cause problems. There is a good purpose of anger. And so when we see something that's wrong, and anger is a powerful emotion to give us energy and strength to make it right, if that's what's needed. Fundamentally, the purpose of anger is to protect ourselves. When someone's attacking, we get angry to keep ourselves safe or to protect others because harm is not okay. So recognizing 
that anger has its purpose also just having that mindset of recognizing okay so what triggered me it's been able to intervene count to 10 breathe slowly go for a walk other things tapping on acupuncture points that's a technique i share in a, in a video on emotional freedom technique those are ways to help calm oneself so it's important to recognize when we are being angry and we can intervene to know that we do have a choice a lot of times i get a client in the office that says oh i couldn't help myself the anger was there and it it was their fault well we like to talk that way and believe that way but that's just not the truth when we believe that that's a way to excuse ourselves with another lie that makes it okay to be angry in a harmful way when that's not the truth so the purpose of anger when something's wrong and that needs to be made right that's a good uh, powerful emotion to help protect ourselves to keep ourselves and the, our loved ones safe so that's a good purpose of anger in a nutshell some people believe that anger is a bad emotion and we should not feel anger and i would say anger becomes bad when it's expressed badly anger itself is not good or bad it's how we express anger you know so anger can be used for good or it can be used for bad and and those are judgments and i would add my judgment to the good of humanity that if it helps keep people safe and gives respect to a person's rights of being human and being their own individual selves then the anger is good to protect that if anger is to take someone else's agency away then that can be bad i worked in a prison for eight years and there was a lot of anger expressed there and most of that was not what i would say is healthy anger because a lot of destruction happens when those guys got angry and that's what got a lot of them into prison as well is not managing their anger so that adds to that part of intervention is how do we manage the anger and that's true with anything is that when we have a lot of emotion it's difficult to manage that unless we have practiced so and when we practice certain behaviors when we do have a lot of emotion that's what helps us be more successful you know we talked about anger anger is often a cover-up of fear or hurt okay so that's part of protection is to cover up the hurt whether it's emotional or physical anger protects that fear is also part of the prediction of hurt so in either case anger is involved with hurt and fear an example of practicing goes back to appreciating that those who are emergency personnel that they have practiced their procedures that when they come across someone who's injured and they don't have to think about what to do because they have practiced 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 so even though they might have fear for that person's life or fear that they can help that person 
because they have practiced, they have the skills through that practice to intervene to help that person survive. And so that's the same principle and process dealing with fear as it is with anger. And they're very closely related emotions. And so that's how we can deal with anger and two sides of that. I have a lot of focus on couples work, on relationships. So I do want to throw in the same principle along here of practice. That's what I just about every couple I work with to help improve their relationship. You know, as we all know that in a close relationship, we can often get triggered easily. We can get angry easily or frustrated or triggered in some way. And so the way we do that is practicing. So I will have a couple commit that when they get into an argument is to stop, to stop what they're doing. This part that I'm talking about is called Be Kind, Rewind. And that's the old blockbuster thing that was on the videotapes. If any of you are old enough to remember the blockbuster videos, when they had the sticker on the end, Be Kind, Rewind. And so that principle is something I share with couples all the time, is that when you're in a situation, you need to stop and you want to minimize the damage with that by stopping the continued fight. And when we get into routines, we get into those modes, and it seems like we lose control, that's the feeling, even though that's not the truth. The feeling is we lose control when we get into argument and fight. And so when we're out of that heavy emotion, to strategize the way we want it to go, how it looks to be successful. I learned this principle one day, one afternoon. I was out in my garage working on some project. I don't remember what it was, but I remember being very frustrated and deciding that this was a good time to share my frustration with my wife. And so I went in the house. She was in the bathroom brushing her hair. I walked into the bathroom and surprising her in a sense, I just, I let out all my frustration all at once and that caught her off guard. And in the moment, because it wasn't personal frustration or anger at her, I had just enough sense to observe her reaction to my bleh when I let out all my frustration saying things just weren't right in the world. I was frustrated about what I was working on in the garage. And so seeing her reaction kind of, it, it was like I accosted her the way she jumped back and the surprise in her eyes. And with me observing that, fortunately enough, I stopped in my tracks. And in that moment, I then walked backwards and I reversed my steps into the bathroom. And I said, let me try that again. And so I tried that again. And I said the same thing. And she, with a twinkle, looked at me and said, that was better, but do it again. And so I walked backwards again, and I did it again. Each time I did it, I think I did it four times total. I improved. She gave me a few tips to how to improve on that. And by the end, we were laughing and giggling, and it was all fun by then because it wasn't too personal. And because 
she was willing to coach me. I was willing to take that coaching and to recognize that to express all that frustration and anger at her was not my goal or purpose. So I was at that time, I was able to be kind and rewind, just like the old videotapes used to say. That's, that was actually 15 years ago when I had that experience. Most every couple has heard that story in the office. And so those that do practice that always come back reporting that it has helped them a lot. And half the time, it's even funny that just thinking about it helps them intervene to not have the same old fight. So even if they didn't practice the correct way, thinking about it has at least minimized the old way of fighting. But those who have taken it seriously enough to practice when they get into those situations and to practice a good way where they both are happy for the outcome, they have found that has been very be beneficial and helpful in improving their relationship. So I encourage and invite all of you that when you're in an altercation emotionally or verbally, that ahead of time, first of all, the one side is prevention. Talk to those that you're in, in relationship. Talk, share with them the principle of be kind, rewind. And after you share that with them, and then later you get into a situation, you stop the argument and say, hey, I'd like to rewind this. Can we practice it? And there's something magic about three as well when it comes to practicing. So when you rewind and you practice the better way, it's highly recommended that you practice that three times. That helps reinforce the positive way of doing that. So there you have it. Thanks for listening today. I hope you find this information and tools helpful. Please subscribe to the podcast channel so you never miss an episode. And be sure to join us next week for more great information. And of course, don't forget to check out my website, communicatinglove.com, for more information on my live webinar and other great resources and videos. Until next week, onward and upward.